Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. All right. It's it. It's live. We're recording. I'm stoked. It's a Friday. Whenever you're listening, it's Friday for you for the next hour. Enjoy. I'm stoked. I'm really excited. The guest who's coming back um, has been on here before. And um, yeah, I've, I've met some great people on this podcast and I've had a chance to become friends with many of them, but not all of them are so nearby. So so this particular guy has become a good friend. We've gone skiing together and all sorts of things. And he is a marketing force to be reckoned with, a thought leader, a chess master, hyper-analytical, uh, can, can bridge the creative with the analytics, uh, longtime marketer, current vice president of marketing at Buyer's Edge Platform, Andy Rosenblum. Welcome back. Hey, thanks a lot, Casey. I really appreciate that intro. Should put a big asterisk on there. Chess master is a title one must earn. It's not just something that gets thrown around. Wait, I can't uh, just call you that? I'm, <laughs> I'm, like a, I would be, I'm probably a novice, if anything, in the grand scheme of things. But yes, I do enjoy the game. And um, like you said, even uh, chess and marketing, it does combine the science and the math and the art and the creativity, the psychology, as well as, um, you know, the ability to read the room and all that kind of thing. So um, yeah. Uh, I think they're 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 analogous in a certain way. That's probably why we get but, along. I say crazy things, and you help correct the logic of them all. It's perfect, perfect combination. <laughs> so here, let me stop yeah. talking, and I want to pass you your old friend. It's the real Thor's hammer. Ugh. Okay, here you oh go. Oh boy, here. got it. Oh, all right. I'm gonna it. grab it with my left hand, my left yeah. arm, my left hand. Yeah, the long story for the other arm, right? So grab that right, hammer. I got it. What am I doing? Take the hammer, smash for me some kind of marketing myth bogus strategy misconception set the record straight once and for all all right i think the marketing myth i'm gonna i'm gonna smash a um a myth of my own making yeah which was that all, all the marketing all the leads all the wins they have to be done in-house organically by my own hand by my own team without leveraging you know, uh, vendors and partners and consultants and stuff like that. You know, I feel like I always had the tendency to do a couple things and not all, always in, in, in service of the best marketing. I had a tendency to always run real lean. I like to keep my budgets lean, okay? Um, not, you know, pay for, for the overhead that comes along with using a vendor or a consultant for something. I always had this weird uh, aversion to doing, like, paid media um you know not that i wouldn't do it at all i've placed my fair share of ads and stuff like that but but i always felt like i could do it organically i didn't want to pay content writers i didn't want to pay uh, uh facebook to do my advertising for me i wanted to get all of the um of, uh, of the the wins that i had organically and i did a, just a fine job of getting them organically but man in the last six to eight months, I have really opened up my world to the power of, um, you know, paid search, um, to the power of, uh, you know, using some content writers and um, some asset creators and stuff like that. And it has allowed me to really grow my marketing operations exponentially. 
And back to the first kind of a piece of that aversion that I had in regards to, you know, adding on the spend, the, 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 the spend, if you, if, if you're doing things right and testing them effectively and, you know, um, uh, building good processes behind the kind of outward facing marketing that you're doing, if you can show the ROI, the spend, it starts to make sense really easily. You know, once you start getting those results, it's really simple to justify the spend, not only for myself, but also for uh, my finance team and our sales leaders and our chief executives who care about things like spend. And guess what? They're saying, spend more, do more, go crazy, take liberties. And um, uh, I've been able to, to, to um, benefit both on, uh, both in terms of like, our ability to scale using this stable of vendors and partners that we have and also scale the work, other work that we're doing, you know, internal to our own team because we're riding the, the, the wave of success that all of this, all of that spend granted to us. So the, the myth that I would smash is that um, everything has to be lean and in-house. And I'm sure there's plenty of marketers and marketing teams out there that, rely very heavily on vendors. I'm not even necessarily saying this is a common myth, but it's something that I kind of like believe for myself as a matter of pride and as a matter of keeping my expenses down for my department. That makes sense okay. to you. It does. It does. It, what is, I wonder where that comes from, that initial resistance to wanting to spend money or like it has to be, I love how you said like buy my own hand. Like for some reason there was that thought that don't spend money because yeah. why? Well, you know, um, a couple of things. One is for me personally, I'm the kind of guy, like I cut my own lawn, I shovel my own driveway. I've never been like the guy to hire a gardener or something like that. So there might be like a little bit of me that's like how I was raised or something, you know, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, my, my dad uh, taught me like, no, no, no. We wash the car ourselves in the, in the driveway. You know, we don't go pay for it. That kind of thing. Um, part of it might also be that I always, I, I guess I'm always um, looking to like a, thinking about ways to expand my own team. And I feel like I would always want to invest in having an employee in house as opposed to paying, you know, uh, 50 or $60,000 to like uh, hire some firm to manage that thing for me. Ironically, a lot of the, the, the services that I sell are convincing, uh, are working with, you know, uh, restaurant groups saying, hey, you should work with our outsourced supply chain team and leverage our knowledge and expertise instead of hiring your own internal person. I wasn't practicing what I was preaching. Um, right. But, but I think I also like, um, it, it was like a matter of uh, budgeting or something. But once I started even just, teasing out the budget like i was able to very quickly make a case for we should scale this budget to where now i um am spending fairly freely on this kind of handful of projects a lot of which involves uh, a lot of uh, search engine marketing uh, uh social advertising and stuff like that and have scaled that very rapidly um to a place that um is I would not have even dreamed of having such a budget um, two, two years ago, but because the, there's a clear path for, you know, we also did it smart. 
a clear path from the spend to the return and it's generating consistently. Um, now we're, now we're looking to, to, to optimize on that spend and then scale it back up again for growth. And, and it's showing a lot of promise in terms of meeting a lot of the business objectives that um, are, are most important to my company right now. Right. Huh. You know, I, I once had a, when I first showed ROI, I had, you know, normally the CEO is beating up for budget. And as soon as I showed that, oh, we spent 5K and this is what happened. And we got, you know, $500,000 worth of sales out of it. Sales closed it. Suddenly he was like, cool, here's 10. <laughs> right. Can and, you, and you, can know you take 15? Can I get the same return on 50? Like, thanks for showing me what I get from it. How much can I buy? You know? That's part of why it's fun to be a marketer these days, actually. Yeah. You know, um, they are... There, there are so many expenses out there that are like impossible to track back the revenue. Uh, you know, um, some of like our, our head of account management, great guy, I have an awesome relationship with him, but he comes back from every show. And he's like, that was a great, every trade show, you know, that we, the conference where we buy the booth or the sponsorship. He's like, that was a great show. We got to go back next year. Well, if you check in the CRM two months later, three months later, there's no revenue tied to that show. But if you ask them, like when the registration comes up, if you ask the salespeople or the account management people who went to the show, hey, should we go back again this year? They're like, absolutely. Like so many great things came out of that. And it's like, but where, where are they in terms of like the CRM? Where are they in terms of drawing a direct, direct line from this, from the $70,000 that we spent between the booth and the cocktail party and the flying there and the hotels to the actual revenue? Yeah. When you're looking at some of the stuff that I'm doing on like a digital acquisition of a digital client acquisition side, it's like, I spent $34 to acquire this lead. They signed up, they're in the system. They generated $750 so far. What do you think? Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it, there's no right anecdotal there. evidence. It's not anecdotal. It's right. scientific. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, and, and, and right, and, and when it becomes about the money and then the money that gets returned, I very easily see the conversation being, I don't give a shit how you got it. <laughs> get me more of it, you know, like, great, yeah. cool. You can, can you get me 25? Yeah, but I'll have to, you know, use this vendor and that, whatever. <laughs> Just give me the same yeah. results you got me or get me more, better. Shifts yep. the whole, whole conversation from that. Yeah, and I'm benefiting from getting the additional expertise that the vendor has to offer. I haven't lost control of the project. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still the, my team and I are still the experts in what we should be saying and where we should be saying it. But he's the expert or the, this partner that I'm using is the expert in, um, you know, where to put it and when, how much to spend on it. And that's, he's doing a better job than, than I could do on my own, certainly, or that even my best guy could do on his own. And, 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 and we're learning from each other. So there's a, there's actually an, an additional benefit there. And if you compare right. that to bringing someone on, you know, you obviously this is, this is ever clear, but there's, there are additional expenses that you get from bringing someone on. They, they wind up cost, they cost a lot more money than, than just the, uh, uh, salary or even the benefits package. Um, I'm sure you know, but uh, hiring, reading resumes, training, uh, you know, bringing people on, training, these things take 
forever. They take so much time. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and being a good manager, I think is being patient with take that taking time. You don't have to be quite as patient with a vendor though. You can right. say, right. Hey, you got three months to produce, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you got six weeks and if I'm not seeing it, believe me, there's a lot of SEM vendors lined up at my door. Right. And you know, and there's a job description and hopefully you wrote it properly for an employee, but there's also a statement of work for a vendor and hopefully they've done a yeah. good job writing that and you agree to it in case you didn't know what to put in there. They're telling you what goes in there and then, yeah, you can just hold them accountable to what's in that, that SOW. Right. And a little yeah. less drama. There's no HR. It's just a, it's a vendor relationship. So, you know, you, you use them, you know, a team, internal team for what they're good at, use some vendors for what they're good at. Um, do you think, do you think you know, I've heard that sometimes we, you know, we hire fast and fire slow and we have the wrong people on the team. Do you, do you think that maybe there's something about vendors that allows you to do that quicker? Like if you find out they're not a fit, you can kind of move on. Hopefully you didn't sign like a two year agreement. Yeah. I think that there is some of that. I believe that in all relationships, from uh, marriages to friendships to employee-manager relationships to vendor relationships, most of the friction that we encounter can be reduced by a clear setting of expectations. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, I I think this is certainly important in in marriage, okay? But... Um, in marriage, it can be a little bit tricky to talk about because there's a lot of, you know, there's like emotion. You care, you care a little bit more about the person, a lot more about the person's feelings. In business, and this is true even in doing in, in, and in friendships or whatever, but in business, um, I, I, like, I, I, I like being told what to expect and what's expected of me. Um, I think people like to be told what to do. People like to be told what's expected of them. And then to have a, a, a clear goal that is that um, uh, they can they can work to achieve. Yeah. And we do a disservice to our vendors. We do a disservice to our employees and also to our managers when we um, kind of like uh, stay quiet about what our expectations are and whether or not they're being met. Um, now, I recently fired a vendor it was someone who i really liked on a personal level we had a lot in common um i think that they that he did a pretty good job for a pretty good amount of time but i kind of said i was like look this is starting to fall off and i need to see it pick back up and it and it didn't and so i had another vendor who i had i always i'm always talking to the to the vendors okay yeah i like to keep a couple around and keep develop around. relationships <laughs> and I, yeah um and, and i had another vendor that i was talking to and i said uh look i'm in a I'm, i have i have this covered right now yeah. but if a, i i said what i often say to vendors that i'm interested in working with i'm like the next time a project comes up i will invite you to bid on it and if something starts not really working with the, the, the shop that I'm using, like I'll give you a try, you know, and things started to slip with vendor one. And I gave like a little piece to vendor two and blew it out of the water. And I was like, let's see what you can do with the whole piece. And, um, 
And, uh, you know, I think that uh, with vendor one, they understood. And he even took the time to say like, hey, no hard feelings here. And I said, of course, no hard feelings. Like, you know, if it doesn't work out or he comes back around, I'll call you again next time. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, okay, so did I hire fast and fire slow? Maybe a little bit. I might have fired a little too slow, but um, but I didn't allow myself to stay in a situation that wasn't producing what I knew, uh, that wasn't producing to the expectation that I had set, which was a reasonable one. Right, right. You know, expectations, uh, you're right. It, it's not usually the delivery or lack thereof is just what were they expecting? You know, that's, that's, that's also where the, the heated conversations come from. Just you expected something else. And mm. it, so it never really, never really pays to pull the wool over people's eyes early on. Like I, I know some companies that will try to like recruit people. Everything's great here. Everything's great. And you get there and they're like, Hmm, it's not so great, but now I'm stuck here, but I'm not necessarily going to stay here. But like, why, why, or like, people trying to get a job pretending like there's someone else like they're you're eventually gonna they're gonna find out who you really are so be yourself and make sure it's a fit yeah i i I had a i got a call yesterday from um a fellow vice president within our organization and they were asking me about um you know how to communicate expectations more clearly with employees especially around um, like, what should you copy me on or not copy me on? What should you do yourself versus involve me in? And um, I've been lately on a sort of campaign to take myself off of CC, on a, off of carbon copy on a lot of emails, off of meetings that I don't need to be on and free up some of my time. This is one of my goals for 2021. Um, at the end of 2020, the this little analytics software that I used told me that I was spending 94% of my time in collaboration. That means I had very little time for like my own thinking and flow state. I am down to 78%, which is still not great, but it's an improvement. Yeah. And so now I'm trying to get myself off the inbox a little bit. Um, and what I said to this employee, what I said to this fellow manager, I, I made up an analogy that I think landed. I said, if you constantly hold the child's hand, when you cross the street, they'll never learn how important it is to look both ways on their own. Hmm. And um, I don't know if that exactly holds up. <laughs> but um, but what I was getting at was, um, I think to tie this back to expectation setting and, and being clear with people about what you, um, like how, what you want from them in terms of how to work with you. You know, I... Um, if you tell people like, hey, this is what I want. This is the, the goal of where we get. Um, yeah. Let's just take a random scenario. I'd like to see if by June, you can be doing all the, let's say, uh, vendor presentations by yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. So for, in Q1, I'm, I want you to sit on it every time I do the presentation. Then let's say in, in January and February, in March and April, You'll take the lead. I'll take the lead and you'll do slides two through nine. And then, you know, in May, I want you to take the lead and do the whole thing and I'll back you up. And then, in, and then if all, that all goes well and you feel good by June, you can take them by yourself. In January, when you, when you pitch that to the employee, they might say like, Ooh, I don't think I could do those by myself. Yeah. You know? 
Um, and so, and, and, and then that's actually, that kind of tactic is like, uh, or that sort of, not tactic, strategy or whatever is what I use to then up some time in my calendar yeah. to say, great, now I have an employee who I trust to do those, um, to do those, those vendor meetings. Um, if it's a really big one, a heavy hitter, sure, I'll still be there or I'll take it or whatever it is, but you, right. let's, let's teach you how to do it. You got it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you hold your son's hand crossing the street? Oh yeah. He's five years old. <laughs> um, I read an article that something about like a, a child isn't actually generally fully equipped to responsibly cross the street until they're eight and a half. Interesting. Eight and a half. Yeah. You heard it here. I think Don't I heard, hold us yeah. liable. Anyone listening? <laughs> hold I'm your no kids child psychologist. Until they're 50 is the official statement. <laughs> But uh, so you heard eight and a half. That's interesting. Plus, I love holding my kid's hand. You know, that's yeah, not why not, forever. right? Because it, it'll be weird <laughs> when you get older. <laughs> Might as well do it now. Uh, you know, if you want to hold my hand, let's go, buddy. That sounds great. Woo! Swinging hands. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of like uh, Middle Eastern co- countries. You know, just walking down the street holding hands like bros. I love that. I think it's a beautiful thing. I love a good handhold. I don't do it as much as I as I ought to. Um, I'm gonna make try a that next to, time we go um, skiing. Let's just hold hands on the on the, uh, the yeah. slopes. Sure, we can do that. But what I was thinking was, I said, I'm going to make a point this weekend. It's going to be a nice weekend. I'm going to see if I can go out for a walk with my wife and hold her hand. It's probably oh, been yeah. too long. Oh, yeah. that Especially when you don't need gloves. <laughs> yes, exactly. I did that the other day. I was, I was holding my wife's hand, but we both had these like triple mitts on because it was freezing out. Right. And you don't even know right. if you're holding each other. You're like holding fabric. <laughs> it's still very sweet. It's a very it sweet gesture. It is. You're connected somehow in some way. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. You know, the the helping people uh, take on that new responsibility reminded me of um, in the military, when we had someone take over the position that we had, we did this thing called left seat, right seat, where they would join us on missions. We're in the left seat, we're driving and they're joining us. You know, they're mm-hmm. participating, but we're driving, we're in charge. And then we do that for a couple of weeks and then we swap and now they're driving we're in the right seat. We're riding along, advising, pointing out things. They're in charge, but we're there with them. And then eventually we're not there. And that was like a cool way of having us transition. Yeah. Um, I like that. That's um, yeah. Very similar. And, and, and um, just to maybe continue on that line, just a second. um, The, uh, like another thing I recently did is actually the same employee um, who, by the way, is, Actually, I, I'm honored to have like my whole team is really uh, a performers. Like I have a wonderful team right now that I'm so happy with and so proud of. But um, this individual is uh, uh, certainly performs at a high level. And I also wanted to be clear about what things, what, what the expectations were in terms of like the quality of work. Uh, like another thing I, I was looking at at the end of the year, looking at um, what kinds of things can I take off of my own plate, you know, to free up some of that time. And I said, I want to stop checking, um, uh, stop proofreading emails before they go out. Mm-hmm. For five years, I had a, essentially a rule in my department that was like, I review every single piece before it goes out. Cause I, um, I like to, proofread i like to check i like to and it's good for me to read it all so i know what's going on and i said to her um, in the beginning of the year i said my goal is by the end of march 
um, that I won't be reading these emails, the newsletters anymore. Mm. Yesterday is the first time a newsletter went out that I didn't review uh, before it went out. And I said, in order to get there, I need to see, I want to see six weeks of like essentially flawless newsletters come to me. So that means that like, you have to take away the crutch of, I know that my VP of marketing will look at this. No, it's like, get it so closely that it's perfect when it gets to me. And I said, look, if there's a couple of proofreading errors or punctuation errors, I won't mind. That's fine. But if there's like a 404, like there's not, there should not be emails coming to me for proof that have a broken link in them. That just means that no one's checked. I shouldn't get emails that have that like link out to the a, a wrong page. If it says it's going to link to the about us page and it links to the contact us page, that's like an unacceptable error. And mm -hmm. that will, and that is not going to get us to where we want to be, where I'm no longer approving the uh, emails come March, you know? Right. And I just think that that was, that was effective, um, especially for this employee. And I knew that she really took it very seriously. And I could tell that she was like crushed the, the one time that there was like a 404 uh, on one of those emails, you know, mm -hmm. but, um, but she, she did it. She achieved, she, she earned the right to bypass the approval step. And I think that was valuable for her. And it's certainly valuable for me. That saved me a couple hours this week. Totally. Um, and so, um, is, is it about as trust? a manager, is there is something to do with trust there? Like I, I've, I know in the past I've, had to really think about trusting, especially internally or just being able to trust people, you know, and, and, and I should definitely trust them more than I think I have in the past. Yeah. I think it has a lot to do with trust. Um, equally the trust between uh, the, the manager and the employee and the trust that the employee has in themselves. Um, and to understand like, yeah, I always put my faith in my manager to do this and for me. And now it's been, I don't know, a year and a half or whatever. And like, I should trust myself to be able to do it just as well. But you have to develop the process. You have to develop the eye for it. Um, and you have to also have the, um, the sense of responsibility. I used to, my, my first job when I was, uh, uh, 21 years old. I got my first job. I was at a marketing firm. I was making $25,000 a year and, um, uh, in New York city. And my, I reported to the president of the company. It was a small company, but he used to say, um, how hard did you look? I went, when I would go to ask him something and he, and, and not in a, he, he was a really great, uh, leader and taught me a whole lot early in my career. But to say, how hard did you look? Like, Hey, before you walk into the office of the president of this company and ask me where that file is, like it's going to be in one of the first seven or eight places that I recommend, because if it is, then you didn't look hard enough that it warranted asking me. Mm -hmm. And he kind of taught me to say, like, it was kind of the equivalent of like, is this your best work? You know, like it kind of taught me to say, hey, before I get up out of my chair, before I hop on Slack and email my manager, you know, as, as employees, we rely on those kinds of crutches as managers we often um enable it because like we have we do have the answers quick but but we're not we're not teaching them to fish appropriately if we um if we um allow if we provide that that easy answer to them 
mm-hmm. nor are we um, empowering ourselves to spend our time on the most impactful work that we can be doing. Exactly. Exactly. Man, it's always cool hanging out with you. I'm having fun. Yeah, right? So, you know, we, we talked about a lot of different things and, and just even that initial myth where we talked about opening up the floodgates. What happens when you do, and I know you've had some recent success with, you know, the Goog, <laughs> the PPC, and <laughs> a lot of these things you're talking about. You've had that recent success and then thousands of leads start flooding in. And then now more and more of that onus goes onto sales of like, hey, we spent actual dollars on these people. Can you please call them? And that friction can develop even even more. Yeah, well, um, the last thing I want to do is ever become a case study of that old like, you know, sales and marketing friction. Uh, Sales says marketing doesn't send them enough leads. Marketing says sales doesn't call the leads, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm fortunate to not be in that situation right now. Um, I have a, a sales leader who I have a uh, great relationship with, uh, both personally and professionally. Um, and um, I have a sales team who is very excited about the leads that we're sending them. They are clamoring for the good marketing leads, the, the Glen Gary leads that we're sending over. Um, but we, part of the process of tweaking that digital acquisition project is not just about the ad copy and the budgets and the retargeting and you know uh, what to put on social and what to put on search and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's also about tweaking the internal, the, the, the technical process of routing all of those, um, you know, kind of all that information, all those leads through the, the CRM as well as through the uh, marketing automation tool. And then making sure that the, the sales process is aligned there. Uh, another thing that's involved in this sale is like a portal signup process or maybe even an app download situation. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's brought together uh, these groups between our marketing department, our, uh, the product team that handles that, the portal where we're getting the, the, um, the restaurants to sign up, the sales team the account management team where if they do complete the signup, um, how they engage with that customer. And then also the marketing flow that then follows from the signup and the engagement. So it's yeah. forced us all to, to keep iterating on process improvements, um, you know, all throughout the, um, that, that, um, that cycle. Um, the, one of the challenges I have is that I have really good visibility into the whole marketing flow piece of that process. Mm-hmm. I have a little bit less visibility into the sales piece and I'm still struggling with the question mark of, okay, great. We know about the customers that like we acquired and signed right up. Um, how's it going with the leads? Like I need, we need feedback. Who's getting DQ'd and why that might help us change yeah. our messaging or our targeting. Totally. Um, Leads are the best and why, uh, you know, what, um, how quickly are we calling on? There's so many variables to determining what's really working and what's maybe not working as much. Yeah. And I have a little bit less control over those variables because they don't live in my department. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, um, it's now it becomes that, that real barter, that real discussion of, 
of, of aligning. And, you know, I, there's been a lot of stories lately. Um, Daryl uh, Prail, I'm trying to in- introduce you to, um, one, one of his backstories is he, he was the head of marketing and he started creating SLAs um, and agreements with sales. Like if we do X, we get you the people that you specifically asked for. You're going to do Y. You're going to call them and set time. You're going to mm. follow up this way, that way. Cool. And apparently they didn't. Um, and so eventually the CEO was like, Daryl, I need your help. And he made him the CRO and he made him. And so he just became the head of sales and marketing because the, he was, mm. because they looked at the agreements and marketing was holding their end of the bargain. Sales wasn't, um, which is just a really interesting prospect. To, not that you need to take over sales, but the idea of having an agreement that matters. And then, you know, people like the CEO and folks can look at that and say, okay, you agreed to do X, Y, and Z. Are you doing X, Y, and Z? Yeah. And, um, and again, I don't want to imply that they're not doing it. I just right. want to make sure that we're right. ready to scale to do it. Uh, right. And, um, and similarly, I had a meeting with our CTO uh, just this week and he was saying like, Hey, at what point do you plan on like really ratcheting up the budget on this? Because I want to make sure that if we wind up having like a killer week or a killer month, like we're not going to crash the software. You know, yeah. so so like there's an element of that too. Like, you if 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 the adoption picks up quick, um, if the if the if we can really align the algorithms with the uh, with the budget and the content, like we might start overloading our systems both technologically or personnel wise. Like, let's get ready to scale the sales force. Let's scale the sales force now. The the you know the calling team or whatever it is because. The last thing I want is to have a have a, a real killer April, and then there's like leads dying on the vine while we're like trying to hire more BDAs or something. Right. So this is so so um, I'm really excited because this is um, this project that I'm on is becoming an increasingly important part of our um, strategy for the year, mm-hmm. and. Um, and I think that we are doing effective work of uh, building the infrastructure that we need behind it. Um, but uh, the I'm, I'm happy to be on the side of that table that is uh, – we're sending over more leads than they can handle. I'd rather have it that way than the other way around. True, true. Um, yeah, it, it very much is that. It, it's a partnership. It really is, you know. It's – yeah, I almost want to refine that statement. I, you know, the thing is, like, it all, it's like, it's like a, it's almost like what they, what, what I used to learn about in supply chain management. Like, you, it all has to be paced out. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's no. Yeah, don't harvest the trees yet if you don't have the tools to trees into baseball bats. You know, that's an interesting comparison to supply chain chain, uh, chain management. I don't know if anyone's ever written about that or thought about that. That's a really interesting because you're right. You don't want to send more sofas than Walmart's going to purchase or than they can actually right. sell. You know, it's, right. you need to pace it out. And nobody wins. Well, you know what? Too many products and they can't do anything with them. They're going to ship them back or they're going to burn them. It's not going to work. Yeah. The, um, there's a, a there's you know I work in the food industry there are case studies for that like um uh one thing that impossible burger did that was pretty cool was that they really slow rolled their uh go-to-market strategy because they knew that they weren't going to be able to ramp up their production in time to meet retail demand 
Mm. So when the Impossible Burgers first came out, they were only available through the food service channel, meaning not at retail, only through restaurants. Um, people really wanted to be able to buy Impossible at restaurants, but um, I mean, at uh, retail, at but retail. they weren't selling it there yet because they knew that they wouldn't, weren't going to be able to scale to meet their demands that wow. way. Yeah, pretty smart. So, so they only gave them to Burger King and other places because those those groups what couldn't effectively better guess how much they were going to spend or they just they couldn't do both so they just picked one and went that way they built their demand through food through the food service channel which is a pretty smart way to go um and um and they actually still got the the consumer interested that way they generated a ton of buzz and a ton of pr um and um and um, but some of their competitors were faster to market, uh, on retail. So, gotcha. um, you know, but like, uh, you see this sometimes even like some of the really popular beer, uh, manufacturers, you know, like, uh, um, around here, like Alchemist or Treehouse or something like that. Yeah. They, they create excess, they create a lot of demand by limiting their supply and, you know, then fetching higher prices and where you have like. I don't know if Hetty Topper would be quite as uh, as uh, uh, lusted after as a beer if it was available nationwide, distributed through stores. It's like there's a certain appeal to it in that way that uh, um, you have to go up to Vermont to get it. But um, of course, that is a limiting factor on their revenue as well. So right, right, huh? Smart. I, have you have you had one? Have you eaten one? Are you a fan? A Hetty Topper or an Impossible Burger? Possible burger. Yeah, many times. Many times. Do you recommend it? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I recommend trying it. Um, <laughs> wait, wait. Trying it or get or getting fifty of them. <laughs> I actually got fifty of them one day. Um, I recommend it. I mean, it depends what you um, what you want to eat. I, I should say, like in full disclosure, I actually had a meeting with Impossible Burger yesterday, and I am working on a, a, a partnership with them. That might be why they're top of mind. Got it. Um, okay, cool. It's interesting. Um, at Impossible Burger, uh, who their biggest competitor is, they say beef. Right. And and so um, I I recommend trying an Impossible Burger. Um, and I would certainly advocate for ordering one any old time you want one. Cool. Um, it tastes, have you not had one? No, I haven't. I mean, next time we hang no. out, we should like have a ceremony and, and I'll eat my first one. It, the, the, you know, like if you, I eat like veggie burgers and stuff like that okay. sometime. And if you, if I eat a veggie burger, I'll say like, oh, this tastes like beans or this kind of tastes like sweet potatoes. Or this kind of reminds me of the taste of like Indian food. Yeah. When I taste an Impossible Burger, the only thing that I can think of to even remotely compare it to is beef. No kidding, really? It doesn't taste like tofu. It doesn't feel like soy protein. Not like it, it, not it beans. Most You're not thinking like beans. Beef. You're thinking, wow. I'm this, not thinking beans. It's impossible, but it tastes like beef. <laughs> it's more like beef than anything else. Yeah. Wow. No, that's cool. Yeah. So, yeah now I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Um, it's an intriguing product. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, I love the different evolutions and how those things are happening. So, 
Um, so you work it out with sales, you get them, you get them aligned. That partnership is growing and thinking about it like a supply chain. Yeah. That's good stuff, man. It's fascinating. Yeah. You don't want the, you don't, yeah, you don't want the, um, it, like in the food service supply chain, uh, the, the produce has to move quickly. Uh, the minute you pick a tomato, it starts getting worse. Mm-hmm. And so there's, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the experts that work for our organization spend a lot of time making sure that the, that tomato gets picked at the perfect time and arrives at the restaurant as soon as possible. And I think leads are very similar. Um, you know, the best time I, I, I had read a stat um, years ago, and I'm going to kind of butcher it, but it was something like there was like a 191% drop off after like minute five. If from the time a form was filled to the time the 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 person received the phone call, really, I think it was a, a stat that I that Salesforce had published that they had like that the success rate of closing the lead dropped something like 116 or 190 something percent after five minutes. I mean, think about it; it makes perfect sense. You yeah. actually, you actually accomplished the seemingly impossible feat of getting someone to go to your website, assess what it is that you do and raise their hand saying, please call me so I can buy something from you. What could ever be a better time to call that person than within five minutes of them filling out that form? Right. If you're casually, if you're a salesperson who's casually eating a bowl of soup while that lead fills out that form and you decide to call them when you finish your soup, mm-hmm. you have uh that that person has now moved on to something else. They might have filled out three more forms on three of your competitors' websites since then, and they forgot your name by the time you finish your lunch. So, yeah, yeah, the tomatoes getting worse every minute that goes by. Yeah, it, it's it, it's the only yeah exactly tomato or avocado for sure. You know those things. Yeah. They just. We got you got to put them like olive oil or something. Otherwise, you just they're gone. I don't know about that. Um, so the um, but so I'm and and part of um, you know, back to the expense part yeah. of proving the ROI on the expense involves um, making sure that they are the 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 leads are then closed and optimized in the most efficient way possible. Um, and in such a way that like, it's all recorded and reported. And so, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, if you've been to a marketing conference, you've heard about how important the sales and marketing alignment is. And, um, this is certainly a case where it is imperative. Right. Right. It's like, yeah, it's, the most efficient possible when you've optimized that process and, but man, to, to call them in five minutes is no small feat. It's almost like an impossible no. burger. <laughs> I don't think that, I don't think that I, I don't, I don't know how many minutes are going by before a sales team client. I don't think it's five, but it, but it, there's a really good point to it. You know, it's like, yeah. uh, um, I wouldn't doubt that. I mean, look, I wouldn't, we, we probably all experienced it. I'm sure there's been a webinar that you signed up for and the salesperson called you the next second. Um, and depending on how, you, you know, you may feel good or bad about that. But, um, you know, it, 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 when, when, when someone's 
displaying buying signals when they've opened themselves up yeah. like you have to you have to take your shot while it's there right and um so uh you know and then also like uh we've talked before about how i how strange are the my target audience is because like uh i work with restaurants and they don't follow like normal business hours so right. like our sales teams might work you know nine to six the restaurants are completing forms at 11:46 p.m. I can't yeah. expect them to be called in five minutes. Right. So there's that too. Yeah, but even even with technology, you know, with every little tool sending things over as fast as possible, you might be right at. I mean, it takes some heavy lifting, and then also to have someone yeah. available to make that call right now. But but the yeah. reward is obviously worth it to have that happen. But that's just a great illustration of of the rewards that can come with great alignment. Yep. Um, by the way, like it hurts my soul as a marketer. There's this, um, there's this website that I want to advertise on. I have called and left messages for them. I have completed their form for like six weeks. They're just not calling me. Like what more can you ask for than someone's like, hi, excuse me. I'd like to be your customer. Can I be your customer, please? You're not calling me back. (laughs) Man, what is that? (laughs) It it crushes my soul. I, I I don't know. I feel like either they um uh walked away from their desk twelve months ago <laughs> and never came back or something, or they don't want to work. Maybe they're just not that into me. They don't want to work with us. They don't want us to advertise. Maybe they're working with one of our competitors. I don't know what it is, but it's like uh um for anyone out there, just make sure someone's checking your contact form the, yeah. for submissions on a daily basis. Yeah. Man, that's so well. I, hey, I wanted to I wanted to shift a little bit. Um, there's this topic yeah. that's kind of intriguing to me. I know you've been thinking about it for a while. The idea of product marketing. Um, mm. And when is it time to have a separate product marketer? Do they report to the head of marketing? Like, what is it marketing? What What is that role even? I know you've been sort of thinking about and experimenting with it. What, what have you come up with? Um, I Maybe we can talk through this one together. I could use some advice if you have it. You know, I um, am thinking a lot about how to scale the marketing department that I run. Right. And um, it's really tough. Every, uh, in chess, we assess all of our moves and you have to look at the opportunity cost of every move. Um, You have to decide whether you want to be aggressive or defensive. Every move you make um, has the potential to, strengthen the other pieces on the board or weaken them. And um, this is like, I've been kind of, I'm kind of having the old um, analysis paralysis in terms of how to grow the team that I'm running. Um, You know, part of me says, okay, I think that our um, workload has increased uh, significantly and I see more on the horizon coming and I have to scale for more capacity. Part of me feels like we can't reach that capacity threshold without bringing on maybe like a project manager, a new mm. uh, new project manager. Um, that's like, kind of like one area to go. But then that project manager presumably um, would be like assigning a lot of tasks to individuals. And if there's more projects and they're being managed more efficiently, that would mean that we need more people to accomplish more work faster. So maybe 
we need more like kind of hands-on kind of uh, like specialist level people. Right. You know? Um, and then, but I also know that there are, um, a, we have a couple of different business units in our organization and that it might be beneficial to have um, someone on who's like a product manager who is really specialized in maybe one, just one business unit who can um, perform almost like a manager or director level um, role of like yeah. interfacing with the directors at those departments or for us, it's actually brands. Um, and maybe I can reduce the amount of time that I spend um, kind of uh, actually speaking with, with those other heads of departments and kind of work at a more executive level. Mm -hmm. But each one of those, you know, like I, I, I don't have uh, carte blanche to just go like, I, I think what I just described sounds like six different people to me. And when you're, you know, in, in times like these that are a little bit lean, um, you know, when they say like, okay, you can grow your department by two, maybe two headcount this year. I'm having a hard time deciding what to make sense in terms of being able to offer additional capacity without constraining or overloading what's already in place. Right. Do you have right. any opinions about that? Well, yeah. Um, it's hard. Like it's hard to track workload um, when it's not like you're tracking your hours, you know? Um, yeah. Do you guys dabble in the, the agile side? Uh, a little bit. Um, but not in a very structural way. We do use, um, we are uh, deeply entrenched in a project management tool that we use. There's not a lot of project management philosophy. I couldn't, I, it would be a really, real stretch to say that we're, that we're using uh, Agile as far as our marketing team. Um, mm -hmm. we're, not, we're not doing sprints and scrums and stand-ups and all that kind of stuff. Um, do you? No, but I've had some conversations on here with some people, even behind them while we're talking, they have like a dry erase board and eventually it's digital and they, they have a, they have a good sense for what their people can accomplish in a certain period of time using that, that structure. And then it's almost like that helps me identify where the, you know, I like to, I'd like more to have ha happen here, but we can't. So they have more backlog here. Maybe I'll put someone there or we can see, almost like to bring order to the chaos, you know, because otherwise there's just all these projects and it's like, everyone's busy. Good. Well, who's most busy or who, who has the busyness that I need to, to, to spread out to someone else so we can get more done in that aspect, you know? Mm -hmm. I think that's an excellent suggestion, actually. Um, I got very interested in Agile in like uh, maybe early, late 2018 or something like that. Um, I never really instituted it as a practice, more like I studied it from a philosophical perspective. And I thought it was cool that the tech teams were doing it. Yeah. Um, but um, you're right. It might be time to start applying that to more marketing departments, specifically mine. Yeah. Um, you got like a director of marketing in that was just like hot on agile and you're like, okay, cool. Let's, let's organize this chaos. Um, yeah. This that's chaos, true. But you know, let's organize things this way. Yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting. I, I don't, I'm a, I am a vice president of marketing and I don't have a director of marketing reporting to me. I have a couple managers and specialists. And so, um, 
there is there is like a bit of a gap there, yeah. I guess. So operationally. And and I'm really um, excited. I've been doing some really rewarding work, um, really at the executive level, um, uh, even working on um, uh, like some new projects, like uh, developing marketing materials towards like uh, potential investors and things like that. Um, really working not just with the with like presidents, but even like the at the executives and with the board, um, and and helping to define how we present our brands um, to a to a whole new stakeholder set, which is those that might be interested in um, engaging with us uh, in a in a financial capacity. Um, I'm used to working. I'm used to working with the the client stakeholder. You know the the um, the target audience in that way, but. So it's like, you know, there's a, there's a pull between um, wanting to work on these much sort of, um, you know, higher level, longer term projects, and then, on the, and then also managing the kind of day-to-day projects. Um, and, and that's where I'm like thinking that maybe it's it, the, the, the answer could be some kind of product manager or project manager, or, you know, um, I'm just trying to figure out uh, you know, how to grow the middle and the bottom and what order that should, that should, uh, happen in. Yeah. Try to execute more and and be able to take more of those big risks and big growth target trajectories and have the team to do it. Yeah. You know, I've always, I've always lacked the ability per se myself to be a great project manager, but I've always really admired and respected that function to, you know, um, help just align things. So my, you know, me without a project manager is like, I'm lost in the sauce. I need someone I'm paired up with. Yeah. I'm not good at it. Yeah. I'm not, I had, I don't have good organizational skills. That's not my strong suit. Um, how has your company grown personnel wise over the years? Yeah. Yeah. To start with it. Yeah. It was, it was me and a bunch of people and, you know, and I'm much more of a, like I care about people and I come up with ideas, but you know, remember, you know, it's the, the, the high fact finding thinking of Colby. Have you ever done Colby? Like a personality. Yeah. It's like a personality thing. Yeah. I've done, uh, maybe not that one, but I've done okay. some others. Yeah. And so one of the things it talks about is like how many details you need to make a decision. And then also how much of a plan you're going to create before you tackle something. Uh-huh. And so I've always been the Middle details, I'm more of an adapter than a planner and then high on risk-taking ideation. So I've always found it really cool to pair up with someone who's high on details, high on planning, and can handle me coming up with a million ideas, right? And then they're able to help make sure that we we institute any of the changes that I'm coming up with. So it's not just me talking and then some people following through, but like me talking and then team executing and following through. So I've, I've always... Um, found it really helpful to to pair up with someone who is who is strong in that regard, and then it just takes the the weight off of me because I also found that every time I was thinking tactically, I got out of big picture land. And you, in the, the the, I actually took this this test. It was like, are you a visionary or are you kind of like that integrator manager person? And I flunked both of them. But you're supposed to be one or the mm-hmm. other. But it told me I was terrible at mm-hmm. both because I was doing both at the same time, you know. And so as soon as I uh-huh. stopped doing both of those things and focus on, okay, I'm going to be strategy right now. Somebody else is going to be handling the, the day-to-day tactics. I could think less about the day-to-day and think more big picture. And it wasn't, it didn't keep bringing me down to earth. Like, Oh, oh we got this, you know, 
this little clause in the in the legal to review or something. It was like, no, no, no. Where can we grow from here? What's the next vertical to attack or something like that? Um, and so that the yeah. division of labor really helped. Um, uh, curiosity, if you don't mind, the um, is your wife um, that kind of totally. you have that kind of partnership? Totally. Yeah. 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 Doesn't doesn't she's not that she thinks I'm crazy, and that's because we're just really different in those regards. Uh, and thankfully, uh, I've, I've learned about Colby and understand that, oh, those are actually strengths that she has. <laughs> but um, yeah, we're, we're definitely, we, we contrast each other or complement each other in those. Yeah, because I have that same sort of um, uh, uh, relationship with my wife. And I, it really comes to light in a positive way, like when we travel, because I like get like a, we, we love to travel together. And um, we're, we're kind of at our happiest in a way when we're traveling. Yeah, same. And, um, and uh, my wife will like meticulously research all these like pros and cons of the, the different hotels or the different little towns we can go to in Tuscany or whatever it is, hmm. but she has trouble like making the decision. And then I go like, and I like, I'm like the trigger puller, you know? Yeah. And then, and then, you know, she, we have a really good balance of like plan this piece, plan this piece, leave this next block open for Andy to improvise <laughs> what we're going to do for these two days, right. you know? And I'll be like, come on, we'll just drive. I, the, guy, the guy at the cafe told me about this lake. We'll just drive there for a night, you know? And then that'll be like the adventure part. And then we know, and then, and then we rest assured that we have another hotel to land at on the other side of the adventure, you know? Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's like where that comes together really beautifully. And I've had that relationship also um, with, with the people that work for me, like, um, where, um, you know, meticulous, uh, planners and organizers in my kind of like loose shoot from the hip kind of, um, uh, uh, style creates sometimes tension and then sometimes really incredible work because, you know, everyone's bringing different tools to the table and like, uh, uh, you can have the, the planner and organizer that like pushes me to be a little bit more structured. And, and I can help that person by pushing them to be a little bit more uh, uh, of ambiguity. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it understanding the, and that's, I'm a huge fan of Colby. Colby is K-O-L-B-E. And one of the challenges uh, with personality tests is that they change, right? Because personality I learned was, it's more about preferences. So your preferences change. And I've been in different situations and my disc or my, Myers-Briggs or all those, those things can change and modify as yeah. you get older. Or if you work with someone who's really strong in one aspect, you may just sort of modify and, and go in a different direction. That's totally cool. But even strength finder, I'm a big fan of that one, but it told me some cool stuff. And then I took it again a couple of years later and it told me completely different things. And it's like, mm. it's hard to get kind of behind something and say, Oh, this is who I am. Let me dive in here. If it's like, this is who I am for the moment. But with Colby, they've been testing it over and over again. It doesn't actually change because it's not your personality. They call it conative. Apparently Socrates talked about it, but it's, it's actually how you tackle problems. So it's, hmm. it's not what you want or like. It's like, I may want or like a plan, but what am I actually going to do? I'm actually going to pick one thing and go for it. And then I'm going to try hmm. the next thing and try the next thing. So um, it's been really interesting to look at people's Colby's and realize, hey, they they really love doing research first before doing anything, or they really love making a plan before making anything, um, or they're they're going to come up with the top three ideas and try one if they're going to tackle a challenge. 
um, or they're going to build something to try to fix the situation. So I, it's just, it's been helpful for me to think about. And then we've also Colby the whole team to see like, where do they fit? And, and understand if you've got someone who needs to be a, you need a project manager, putting someone like you or me into that role is like tantamount to torture, right? Um, we can do it, but it just, it takes more energy. Whereas some people just enjoy the heck out of it. You drop them in that role. They're just on fire and they're loving it. So it's like trying to you move the puzzle pieces around um, and they may say that they like this or they prefer this, but really when it comes to the end of the day, it's something different. Um, I, you know, quick story on that. I had a, a friend who um, was working for like a, a chip manufacturer, like big um, Intel type chips. And, and he was like, kind of, he was a really happy go lucky guy, but he's really dejected at a party. And I was like, what's happening? What's what's wrong? He got a promotion. He got a promotion and he was bummed. Like, yeah, how terrible <laughs> right how why are you bummed um he's like well you know this, what i do is x y and z i'm just not feeling it well i i was fresh off the colby train so i kind of like asked him and i got a sense for his his last job he was like this hit squad to tackle bugs so they would find bugs he was like a, a developer right so he would oh we have a bug in the chip and at this node or whatever he'd go after it yeah. and they'd they'd kill it and they'd figure it out and they'd fix it and they're like this cool hit squad that would go around and do that. And he got promoted. Oh, and, oh, and when he was in that role, his job was to know all the things and didn't really need to plan. You just need to adapt to whatever bug came his way and, and yeah. go for it, right? Um, when he got promoted, he didn't need to know all the details anymore about each individual bug or line of code because you're the manager now. You have a team to know about the lines of code. Instead, we actually need to manage people. So you have to be high on planning and, and your, your high on facts are actually getting in the way. You need to be low on facts, high on planning and go for it. And so he was now in a role that was like the complete opposite of what he enjoyed doing. And that, and that explained, and I kind of explained to him, like, this is why this feels so weird and wrong. It's just because it's a different ask. How did that work out for him? It's a good question. I don't know. I need to follow up with him. You ought to put him on the show. Let's call him up right now. <laughs> hey, that'd be, dude, that'd be amazing. <laughs> You're on the air. <laughs> you phone a friend. Yeah, I should. You know what? You know, you tune in next time to find out how did the friend do. Uh, but yeah, I do. I should ask him whatever happened from that. It was a bit ago, before pre-COVID. Well, you know, another um, to tie it all together, both with the, uh, with your friend and uh, scaling, and what we talked about earlier. Another potential way to scale this is through vendors, through looking outside, maybe not putting as much emphasis on scaling the uh, actual number of headcount on the marketing team, but by figuring out where there are, um, uh, you know, effective partners that we might be able to outsource some of that work to. And that's something else that's worth considering. Right. Right. And out, yeah. And outsourcing. Yeah. And then, and using, you can use your vendors to PM and, and bring in, bring in things in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Pretty crazy. Sick, man. This is, this has been cool. This has been cool. How's life. How's life lately? You feel life is good. I, I feel okay. Um, life is good. There's nothing that I have that I can really complain about. You yeah. know, I um, told my team this morning, I called and I had an impromptu meeting with my marketing team at 901 because I was feeling a little bit sentimental and I wanted to share that sentiment with them. And I 
Spike, I really am proud of myself and the work that I accomplished over the past 12 months and proud of my team and the work that they accomplished over the last 12 months. And in a year where myself personally, several people died that were close to me, that was very upsetting. And, um, you know, uh, my personal finances are a mess. And I know that my team went through all kinds of, um, you know, dealing with illness and death. And one of my team members has been separated from her spouse for like oh, a geez. year. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, um, you know, among all of, we were, our, we, I had to lay, we laid off three pe- members of the team. And despite all of that, um, I still look back at the year and say, this was a really great year for our marketing department and what we accomplished. And I think that it would have been a just fine year to have a just fine year. You know, it's easy to say, mm-hmm. I had a kind of a belly ache, like I didn't run the best 5K. But it's even more amazing to say, like, I took that belly ache and I went and blasted that race with it, you know? Yeah. And so I, I was kind of feeling that this morning and I was a little bit hesitant, but I decided don't hesitate. And I like called an impromptu meeting and I told them all how grateful I was to have been side by side through this year of work. And as I'm sure you remember, as I'm sure you, you will agree, I'm sure from uh, your, your service uh, with the Marines, when you go through an intense experience with people, um, whether, no matter how it comes out, but especially if it is a positive one, that's the kind of thing you remember forever. You did that together and that really bonds you. And I said that to my team, I said, um, this was important. These 12 months were important. I said, I worked harder than I ever have in my career for the last 12 months. And I'm a pretty hardworking guy. And I would imagine that all of you have probably worked harder this year than you ever have before. Yeah. And, um, and, and um, not just harder, also smarter. Um, finding new ways to work more efficiently and accomplish things on a grander scale. And I really was very proud of them and proud of us collectively for accomplishing that. So, and this period of reawakening where the tulips are coming out of the ground and the vaccine starting to spread its way around and the restaurants and stores are opening back up and the schools are Mm -hmm. coming back. um, I'm feeling not only optimistic about the future, but despite all the negative things that so many of us experienced uh, this year, I am, I consider myself very fortunate and as well as privileged to look back and say, uh, I maintained my health, I maintained my job, and I'm proud of what I accomplished over the past year. Yeah, man. Yeah. Just the other day, I was I was telling myself, oh, man, I have to do. And I cut myself off and said, oh, I get to do, you know, I get to do X. I get to tackle that challenge that maybe other people don't have the opportunity to tackle. You know, I get to experience what it's like to deal with this kind of a situation or that kind of a situation. I'm just kind of flipping the script a little bit. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine the team joining that thing, you know, um, be like, oh, Andy's so weird. But then being like, yeah, but he really he meant it. You know, and that's cool. And I, I'm sure they felt that that sentiment and that passion. 
I think they did. One of them said that they were in tears after. And I, I opened myself up. I was a little bit vulnerable. And I said, like, I said, um, I just want to say something. I was like, and then there'll be an awkward silence. And then we can just go back to our day. But here it goes. This is what I'm thinking, you know? And um, I think they appreciate it. And you know what? Even It was, it was, it was honest. That's all. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, uh, again, just a cl- honest and clear communication of, of what I was feeling and what could ever be wrong with sharing that. Yeah. Nothing, nothing. Especially when it's about gratitude. People yeah. love, people love to receive gratitude and you know what? It feels really good to share it too. Um, and it doesn't so cost you anything, man. I, it doesn't cost you anything to share that, you know, yeah. to be grateful to yeah. share that with people who, who doesn't want to be told that they're appreciated, that someone's proud of them, that their, uh, you know, boss thinks they're valuable. Um, I didn't see how that could possibly ruin anybody's Friday. Boom. Perfect so, place to end, man. Where can people connect with you? They want to get, they want to get some liquid gratitude. They want to, they want to connect and get this vibe. Keep, keep it going. I would, uh, they can find me on LinkedIn. I love to hear from people on LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, Andy Rosenblum. Um, and if they want to learn about the company, it's buyersedgeplatform.com. That's a new website I launched recently that I'm very proud of. Ooh, check it out. And nice. Yeah, check it out. And uh, you know, stay tuned to hardcore marketing because uh maybe I'll come back again uh soon and and we can continue some of these uh conversations that we've been having for the past couple years. Heck yeah, man. Heck yeah. It's awesome. Dude, you're a gentleman and a scholar. You're you're a philosopher. Thank you. Here, here's that hammer back. Thank you. Thank you. The hammer has, has come back and I will give, I will keep it safe for you. <laughs> awesome, dude. Thanks again for coming in. For those listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.